The following audios the expressed opinions of the hosts and guests and do not reflect investment advice or recommendations of any kind. All funny jokes or just jokes, so don't get it twisted. Back from the dead. We're here. Everyone's alive and breathing. A little bit of a delayed reaction on actually recording the pod. Braden, uh, did you know that COVID is still out there? COVID's still out there? COVID is still out there. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, my wife is the first COVID case of 2023. Hell yeah. Nice. She needs yeah, to- family is knocked out. And uh, our family is that what you said? What? Her, her entire family's knocked out? Is that what you just said? No, no, our family. Me and her. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That's unfortunate, dude. Yeah. Good thing dogs can't catch COVID. Our dog's been fine and super upset that we're lethargic and <laughs> non moving for the last three or four days. It's mm. been hell. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's bad. That sucks. Yeah. I can never get COVID again, ever, ever, ever. Yeah. But on the bright side, uh, complete opposite of our entire health situation in my household, the market seemed to forget that inflation is a thing. And, you know, Fed Jerome Powell on Wednesday, homeboy was like, hey, we're going to be hawkish. We're going to have some future hikes in the meantime, but We'll pause it right here. And the S&P went up like 2.4% over the week, which is wide the divergence to the to the economic state. That is for sure. But it is. It is. And that's what I was going to get to is, do you think it's a quote unquote resilient market that is maybe smarter than a lot of people and just foreseeing an actual soft landing and Jerome Powell pulled off a miracle? Or is it way too much hot gas air in the oh, middle? Man. You know, our fans, our fans know this about me. I think by now that uh, <laughs> I, I don't make it. If you can be negative, you'll be negative. No, 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 no not that. I, I don't. Uh, I don't make investment decisions based off of these opinions. Uh, but I do like to shoot the shit a little bit, and I, I will say, um, I can't. I can't read whether or not institutions know what they're doing. Um, here's here's the way I look at it. I saw some visualizations about how, even though the market's getting really hot, um, we are in a situation where there's a divergence between institutional capital and retail capital. Yeah. Retail capital in the market is, is kind of skyrocketing and institutional capital is going in the opposite direction, right? Um, and the rational, the rational... Uh, institutional investor brain in me looks at that and says, "Oh yeah, retail's idiots. This is obviously like a like a fake, a fake, you know, a fake rise." Um, but then it's like, okay, man, institutional investors are the most prideful and the most arrogant, and they always seem to be behind the ball. And I only hear from institutional investors like myself when I look at a chart like that that they're like, "Oh yeah, retail's stupid." Um. Is retail stupid is really the question, or are they actually always ahead of institution? I don't know, man. I don't know. I think that institutional investors are the only ones doing the research there, and they have a reason to rig the information in a certain way and pay in a certain light so that they can justify their jobs. Um, so I have, that's a long way to say I have no idea, but I'm very intrigued to see how it goes. I really am. I'm really intrigued. Yeah. To see Why that. say five words when I could say five stories? Yeah. Here we go, Braden James, ladies and gentlemen. No, I think the quote-unquote I have no idea is the standard answer. Anyone who tells you they know where the market's going is lying or selling something. I have no idea. I will say that I was right and then wrong in talking about market predictions, what we were looking at even earlier this year. I said, hey, if we can get to a certain level uh, and break through 100, right? That's do what? 4,200, right? That was your call. If we broke through, it was going to jump. That was right. However, I said it'll jump and then it'll pull back. Maybe not too sharply, but enough to get back to 4,200 or maybe below. And then it'll stay around that 4,200 level for the rest of the year. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, it is hot right now. 
S and P five hundred closed forty four hundred forty four oh nine, and that is it has not been that high since April of twenty twenty two, so like fifteen months ago. That's insane. It is. Yeah. And are you going back on your call? Time is still your friend. We still have a half a year left. Are you going back? No, I. Okay, it's hot. The five percent drop, right? If it goes back to forty two hundred, that would be a five percent drop from today. Uh huh. Yeah, a little bit less, but if it were to decrease to that, I still have my prediction that it's going to be maybe around ten uh, percent based off uh, year of twenty twenty three gain. And let me pull it up because this bothering me because I always had this like tracked, but tw- yeah, ten percent of we were at. 3,800 essentially. And so it'd be up at least 4,120, let's call it. So if we're above that, then that's still really good year to date or for a 2023 for a comeback. But I'm starting to feel like I may be just wrong. Like it's 4,400 right now. So even if I were to be correct and it were to drop eight, 9%, like that's still a good, that's still a strong pullback, and it's a little nasty from the recovery that we've made. Part of me wants to hope that it's going to drop three, four percent, but then we get, I don't know, all the way up to forty six hundred, which would be just delightful, and like more than a twenty percent gain in twenty twenty three, which is right back to the overhot, stupid market that was twenty twenty one. Mm-hmm. But inflation's kind of, I mean, it really has, according to data, chilled out. It's like 4%, maybe a little bit less now, which would definitely be great. chilled out from its uh, 9% peak, which mm-hmm. I think was probably to be expected, right? It'd be very hard for it to continue 9% year over year over year. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's interesting. Uh, this is why I can't invest based off of this stuff. I literally have no clue. Where- <laughs> cool. Um, that's the guy who does manage tons of people's money and investments and is one of the best investors I know. You just have to be humble and say you don't know because no one knows. But you can't be smart and strategic and just plan a portfolio with somebody, which works. Right? There's the caveat. There's the other language. But market's hot. Uh, Friday cooled a little bit. I mean, it wasn't nasty. But we've had enough weeks in a row where I think, I don't know what's going to prompt it to pull back hard, but it, it probably will. Another ish percent. While we're on the investment, while we're on the investment topic, uh-huh. can we talk a little bit about uh, the dividend tweet? I know you saw it because you threw in Mercedes Benz as your, as your yeah. stock. Uh-huh. Right. And, and that guy, I didn't reply to him because like, I, I, I truly don't know. I haven't done enough research into Verizon, but it amazes me. And for, for everybody listening, there was a tweet from a dividend Twitter, a dividend investor Twitter. Um, I don't typically do dividend investing, but, um, he asked, what's your favorite dividend stock? And I went through the thread and there was all kinds of stuff. There was like Ford. Tesla for some reason. People uh, were being dumb in the thread. Reits, some REITs, like like weird stuff, right? And I just made a comment. I was like, I don't understand how Verizon's not in here. Um, for, those, for those who don't know, as of today, Verizon's yield is like dividend yields like seven up seven plus percent. Yeah. Um seven PE, right? Kind of a stable business. Um, down a little bit since uh, since since interest rates started rising since mid 2022, but I mean it's Verizon, right? Like it's it's a it's a staple of of our economy. Um, and some guy replied and he said, "Oh, because it's in a secular declining." I, I asked why it wasn't on there, right? And he's like, "Oh, it's in a secular declining um, industry, and it's X growth." And I read it, and the first thing I thought was. This guy just must be an analyst. Just so much stupid jargon that means nothing. Absolute jargon. Literally, literally was a tweet of jargon. But then I was like, okay, is he right? 
And obviously, like things like we're all dude, Ford was on there. Like, come on. Is Ford not in a secularly declining X growth position? An analyst would probably say so. Um, but I went and checked them, dude. And like, I just don't understand uh what the what the hell he's talking about. Like telecom growth globally is like expected to grow 5.6% a year through 2030. Uh, Verizon has not seen a decline in dividend growth, revenue, operating income, operating cash flow, or net income in several years, like since 2018. Like it just is like smooth sailing and it's like an infrastructure business, man. Like I still understand what people like, it's like he read a Yahoo finance article and was like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a oh, dunk. Yeah. That's my take. Dude. And- now Mercedes was really clutch. I looked at Mercedes after you put that on there, and I was like, "Oh damn!" Like six point nine percent, six point nine five yield. Like seven, and they're hyping. Uh, I I don't think it is anymore. Um, or when I looked, but that's because the stock price has been skyrocketing. Um, when I looked, it was at six nine five. Oh, you're right. Yeah, they did. Uh, last week. No, but that's because the price went up. Like obviously, when the price goes up, the dividend yield's going to go down. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, like I just don't understand these people like knocking these very obvious investment plays. They're just, they're just hurting themselves. These are no brainer investments. That's like, yeah, I'll lock in 7% dividend yield. Sure. And yeah. they're not going away. Mercedes, that's uh, not going bye-bye in the next five years. That dividend's not going away in the next five years. Verizon, it's yeah. not going AT&T, you're Philip Morris, you have your oil and gas companies that always kind of throw up a big dividend i the difference between oil and gas and like a verizon or a mercedes is like oil and gas the dividends are variable right like like when oil and gas is strong the dividends are high and when it's weak they they get cut like they're not consistent correct you know so abbv um yeah alliance bernstein is one i use a lot but i i love i love dividend investing when it's placed in a way that like strategically just produces income for clients. For me, clients that say, Hey, you know, I, I want a solid return and I really just don't want to lose this principle. And it depends on the risk scale and where they're at that I'd be like, Oh, treasury or, Oh, okay. You're 85 and you have a chunk and you just need it to grow. Then I'll, dividend income portfolio, spit off that income for them and kind of go with it. Like I have a client that I've worked with for years and they've just wanted dividend type of income performance. And I structured that, put it in together, ran a review with them recently. It's been like 6%. Yep. Between all the different songs and reinvesting in it or whatever. And it's great. Uh, well, no, I, I'm, I'm not reinvesting it. Like they're literally just taking cash. You're taking your income from it. Yeah. Yeah. And like their account has grown, not by much like at all compared to Apple or the S&P 500, but they're getting money out of like, yeah, they're getting income. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, if you can be, it sounds like a super large number, but I also ran the strategy for like, okay, if you saved. 200 300 bucks a month when you're 25 every single month and then you're saving you know somewhere between three to six thousand dollars a year and you do that from 25 to 65 and you get eight percent annualized growth you will have over a million dollars and that blows people's minds and i'm like that's how it works and then take a million dollars and if you have a million dollars and you run it at 6% dividend yield, then you're making 60 grand. And that 60 grand is there for you for life. And that doesn't account for social security or other benefits or maybe other investments you've had from work, 401ks, whatever. I'm like, it is there. Yeah. Like you can account for a ton of expenses when you're 80 years old to be around 60 grand, unless you're Jeff Bezos. And you have a yacht, then it's probably more. So, do you have an account for yourself where you're doing that? Doing what? The di- oh, the just the putting no, like a like a three hundred bucks a month into something. Oh yeah, 
that's uh, so well okay let me be more specific i did exactly what you're talking about and i think that this is for our generation the best use of robin hood um so yeah. robin hood our generation's like i'm gonna go on robin hood and yolo stocks and yolo options <laughs> what's beautiful about robin hood is you can do fractional shares you can do daily recurring investments and it's free and easy to set up right mm -hmm. i actually did this uh a little bit before i made that verizon tweet um but like it's been going for maybe two weeks um eleven dollars every single day into verizon eleven eleven dollars every day so it's 330 a month at 7.6 percent dividend yield that's it right and it's just going to spit off that money and maybe it's going to have a little bit of growth every day that's i think that's a use of robin hood that people aren't doing and that's a you know, whenever we talk about investing, you got to have multiple strategies. You got to, especially if you're in your income generating years and you're at a point where you can continue to put money into the market for things like, I think people miss that, right? They, they only do their retirement and they're like, yeah, my retirement, that's where, that's where it's going to go. They don't think like, oh, I could have an income generating one. I can have one, a different account where maybe I sell options and try and generate income for myself out of nowhere. You know, like they don't, yeah. they just don't do multiple different strategies in multiple different places. They just go to Robinhood and YOLO it. So a good use of Robinhood is to add those strategies for sure. I will give Robinhood this. It is the best investment user experience. Yes. Ever created. Maybe not necessarily for, you know, a CFP or, you know, us, financial advisors, RAs, but for like an investor, solo investor, it beats the hell out of Fidelity and my boy Chuck, Charles Schwab. Yeah. And it's so annoying because it's, they don't <laughs> have close to the amount of money that Fidelity or Charles Schwab has, but it's. A hundred X the user experience. Pandered to their audience. Pandered to their audience. And they did great. Yes. They do make it a lot easier for like, hey, you connect accounts. Here's how to find the stocks. They got in trouble for gamifying and like confetti for like you bought a stock. Yeah. They actually, you know, lost some lawsuit, something about that. But they just poured resources into like every other startup that's come about in the last five years, ten years. How do we just improve user experience? Make that yeah. They did, and they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. Now, what does piss me off about them is, and this is only true for me and you. Maybe you, maybe you got out of it before um, you signed up as an advisor. Um, if you answer the questions truthfully, right? If you answer the questions when it asks you, "Are you a financial professional? Are you in the business of giving investment advice?" Oh, yeah, I, I, I did. I did open up a Robinhood account for that. I you didn't. Well, I, I, I done, right? I have a Robinhood account, but it won't let me trade options and it won't let me have a margin account. Only cash account. So I can only do those kinds of investment strategies like what I just mentioned in that. In that yeah. So that sucks, but, you know, go somewhere else, do something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I take advantage of a lot of the new stuff. I mean, I have an Acorns account too that I dump money into every month. Nice. Uh -huh. I don't know if you have an Acorns account too, right? There's just all kinds of different areas where you can just be like, hey, yeah, I'm going to... That's one of my passive things where it's just like, oh, let me look at it. No, yeah. It just siphons it off the top. I think Acorns, super smart for that. It's just... You know they're an RIA. Have you ever read their ADV? No. How much do they have? They're an RIA. Uh, I haven't read it recently. I looked at the fees and stuff and the way they structured it. I didn't even look at their AUM. We should look in that and see. Their ADV's up, dude. Acorns. Guarantee you they have billions. I don't know. RIA. Yeah. All right. Now I'm super intrigued. I'm going to figure it out. I know they're an RIA. I wasn't even thinking that they would even report normally, though. They do. Good grief. What are they listed as? What's their first? You can go to their website and pull up their recent ADV. Pretty sure it's on their website. Uh, a long time ago. California? Yeah, this is them. Ah, they have multiple, though. That's annoying. Do they now? Uh, uh, oh, I bet they might have one for each investment strategy. I don't know. No, one they just list as a broker and the other one. Oh, well, you don't do the broker. You do the uh, RIA one. Ooh, 
Ooh, okay. You know what? It's not as much as I thought, but it's still a lot. Take a gallon. Uh, how much money they have? 100 million. Okay, maybe it's a lot more. No, dude. How much does Charles Schwab have in Fidelity and all these others? Oh, but Acorn's nowhere near like that, dude. Acorns is like a... Acorns is like for young people and half of them don't actually use it. They just want the affiliate marketing. Yeah, but if you like the affiliate marketing, you're really good at UI UX and you build a killer app and tons of people use it, you're going to get up to $7 billion. Is that what they got? $7 billion? Just about. Wow. They have, yeah, just almost $7 yeah. billion. Dollars. That's more. That's way more than I would have expected. I thought they were smaller than that, but maybe they're not smaller. Yeah, I was, I was going to guess like two. Bill, I've been using I've been using them since like 2013 or 2014. I started using them when I was a junior in college. Nice. Yeah, they've just always been little to me. I don't know how big they actually are. I think they prefer that. They just don't want to be on the radar. Like, oh, we manage seven billion dollars. But their referral fees are incredible. Such a big deal. Have you seen their affiliate fees? Do you use them? Have you ever been on there? No, I've never. I haven't used Acorns. I, I like it. I've seen the videos. Think it's a great idea and everything. Let me let me hit you with this real fast. The referral fees, the the, the affiliate marketing. If you could do this, this is how people get rich on like TikTok and stuff. If they can affiliate market this thing. Um. See, go to notifications. No, that's not what I want to do. That's great. Just wait for you to pull up your phone and learn how to use it like a 58-year-old. $700 if you get three of your friends to join Acorns and they invest. But the money has to be put into an Acorns account? They have to open up an Acorns account. I think the limit's like 50 bucks, so they have to open an Acorns account and put $50 in. And if three friends do that, you get $700. Right. But I'm saying the $700 has to go back into your Acorns account. Oh, it goes into your Acorns account. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's on the like back. If you give you money, and then we're just making money on the money we just gave you. And it's all. You can pull out the $700 and you make a withdrawal. But yeah. yeah. Dude, why wouldn't you take free $700? Like, that's. I'd hit that. I that, that would be. Yeah. I mean. You'd get it. And obviously, yeah, you do have the chance. It's your money to just pull it out if you want, right? Yep. Okay. They just advise you to just leave it in there and then they'll just keep making money on you. Plus, they don't really incentivize it. It's weird. And they only charge you five bucks a month. That's all they charge you. How much? Five bucks? Five bucks a month. There's no AUM fee aside from the ETFs they put you in. Okay. The You just mean the expense ratio on the ETFs? Yeah. Okay. But there's nothing Robinhood charges. No. Not really. Trading for order flow. So, I mean, I guess five bucks is a lot, though, if you're charging a $60 ARR per user type of experience, and then you have a million users, you're making six million ARR. But that's nothing compared to the seven billion you have under management. True. I wonder, I wonder how many users they actually... Oh, it tells me. Hold on. How many people are actually invested? Six million. 6.5 million. Dang. 6.5 million times $5. It's 30 million. 30 million. What? 30 million. 36 million. Yeah, six times five. Would you say 7 million? If you round up to 7 million, yeah, it's like 35 million. No, I, I'm behind you on a decimal. What am I saying? No, I'm doing per year. It's like $60 per year. How much are they making annually? It's oh, $60. per year. I yeah, see. so $60 times 6.5. Why don't you just do a month and then multiply it out by 12, right? You got 6 million people paying $5 a month. Yeah. In a month. 39, 300. I just yeah. jumped ahead in my head. 390. Yeah. 390 ARR. Okay, that's pretty good. On seven bill, so seven bill is uh oh, like one percent. That's a million. It's like a point five percent fee, AUM fee on seven bill. Okay, that's not bad. Mm-mm. Wow, we just broke like, higher pricing. Well, what sucks is if you have like 
$200 in there, right? You almost have to have a certain amount for it to even be worth it. If you have $200 in there and they're charging you five bucks a month, you're getting smoked. Yes. High fee. But it's, it's just like the new age guys you were talking about who have a fixed advisory fee. Um, and they'll do, I think, I think that's spot on. That's kind of the, and we can go into this, the fixed fee versus just AUM fee, right? Oh, was this before pod combo? This was before pod combo. So that's right. Yeah. We should probably talk about that. Then that's out of context. Out of context entirely. But for everyone here, uh, Brady and I like each other so much. We just hop on for hours anyway, and just talk through things. One of the things we talked about, which alludes or just correlates with this acorns is flat fee advisors versus AUM fee advisors, meaning some financial advisors out there will be like, Hey, we, we don't care how much you have. Like you can totally work with us and you could have a hundred grand, which is a good amount of money to save and invest. They're like, great. That would be $5,000 on an annual basis. Maybe you break it up monthly or quarterly or whatever, but that's a lot. It's not worth it. That is a 5% fee. If you just take, you know, based off the money that you just gave them or you have the majority of the financial advising world, and it may be stuck in the old tradition or ways. It's the way I structure my fees and everything I do, but I believe it to be more fair. Once again, opinion-based, it's just a percentage based off the assets under management you have. So if a client has a hundred thousand with me, then on an annual basis, 1%, they would just pay a thousand dollars. They have five, 500,000, 5,000, uh, is the fee. So the feeling gets larger if your advisor makes your money grow, which I think is fair. But there's the flip side of the debate, and I'll totally acknowledge this, where it's like, oh, you're managing accounts, portfolios, and the money goes down. Why are you still charging money? Like, why, why would you still get paid? Well, technically, both advisors in either camps would get paid. Um, one advisor for the flat fixed fee may just do more work in terms of drawing up a retirement plan and doing all these other things for you. But man, looking at freaking Acorns' model and knowing that, oh, if you just spent a good amount of your revenue chasing after more accounts, getting more affiliate and then growing those accounts and it's stuck around a 0.5% <laughs> AUM fee for all that hard work and granted some people are getting cleaned out, but some people it kind of makes sense for, but it's consistent revenue, no matter what you just, what makes work. great sense for me. That's a great fee for me. I can tell you that much. It's like nothing. Yeah. So it's insane. I think it's really good. You uh, just, have to, you have to be out of it. Just make sure, you know, what $60. So make sure you have more than $600 in the account and it's more than fair. Yep. And the more the account grows, the more fair it is, the better it is. And yeah, and they don't do anything, right? They have five or something preset portfolios and you just choose your risk tolerance. And then it's like, okay, great. You get this portfolio and they do no work, no work. It is literally 100% margin business. I bet the compliance on that is just disgusting. Yeah. Who knows? Oh yeah. I mean, if you have a lot of people, if it's automated and it works out right, I mean, you could probably fix it to go. You could make it, you could make it good, but yeah. no, it's interesting. Also something I want to hit on, which I think is interesting is like, I don't think AUM is the old way to do things. If you look at the history of the financial advising business, it's really not that old of a business. Got started in like the seventies and eighties where it really became like a thing. I mean, the AUM assets under management fee style is like second generation and we're really not out of it. Like it's like hitting home. It is just after, and this is what's funny, me and you've done a lot of research on other RIA firms. It's just after a first generation fee structure where it's all commission-based, right? And that's what it used to be. Yeah. It used to be all commission-based and it is way more fair to go. You loaded mutual funds. Yeah. Way more fair to go AUM than commission-based. And I just think that we're just in that pace of like, yeah, man, the industry is going to continue to move and go in directions. And right now everybody does AUM because everybody can acknowledge that it's right. The thing about the average age, like we're way younger than most financial advisors, right? Most financial advisors today were coming up and their dads or somebody were financial advisors charging commissions. 
And so the the majority of advisors look at how it was done before and they're like, yeah, we're way better than that. Hell yeah. I mean, we're not they were trading commissions on trade. Yeah. That was the big yeah. one. But yeah, exactly. Commissions on trades, commissions on products, commissions on everything. Like they got, they could rack up money, no problem. Um, and so, yeah, I think that this is just second generation advisory. I don't know what third generation is. I think that there's a lot of problems with every other fee style. Every fee style has its issues, but no, no, I think, I think third generation is the flat fee. Yeah. I see so many people doing it and yeah. it's because it kind of takes care of like, Hey, I'm going to do a lot of work for you and you can have whatever amount, but you need to pay this. Yep. Like it's, I think it's from seeing a lot of businesses, especially SaaS businesses or whatever with tiered pricing models. Yeah. And it's, hey, you get one of these. You can fit into one of these pricing models and you have to pay whatever that is. It's not a bad, not a bad business model for the RIA business. Really isn't. Should be considered actually, I think. It's very interesting. Yeah, you tier it. I, I, I agree. This, this, this business, yeah, this pricing structure, you get upwards of two accounts, index invested, three, three annual meetings or whatever, or one annual meeting and blah, blah, blah. But if you want this premium tier, you know, you can have unlimited amount of accounts with me. Minimum of those accounts is X, right? You can change your minimum number of accounts, all kinds of stuff. That is, it's, that's interesting. Yeah. It just makes me. In my head, I think you you can structure it that way, but I'm still biased towards the percentage of like, look, it is more money for the RIA and it's still a much better way to like align everyone together to not misconstrue, hey, somebody who has a million dollars wants the lowest tier subscription plan, right? Where they pay $4,000, which is great, you know? What is that? Yeah. And they can pay $4,000, they have a million dollars and they're really getting a heck of a deal. So you're telling me that the same person that has $90,000 to choose the same tier is going to get the same treatment as million dollar guy. And all these flat fixed fee advisors and CFPs are like, yeah, of course they are. Cause you're choosing that up front, and then I'll get to spend this amount of time with you make your money grow. I'm like that doesn't like it. I mean, it makes sense if that tier structure is like you get an indexed account. That indexed account is only going to be rebalanced once a year and you get one meeting with me a year, right? Like that million dollar, right? And you only get two accounts. Well, oh, uh oh, that guy with a million dollars, he actually has four accounts, right? He's got a brokerage account for him and his wife and retirement accounts for him and his wife. Sorry, you can't do this plan unless you just want to move over to. Like, yeah, I mean, you, it, yeah, it gets more complicated for those wealthier people. And I think that they end up paying for more anyway, but if they don't, I think it's very easy to keep the service consistent. If you just stick to those things. What I think would be interesting is to, and what exists in the AUM world is there are that SaaS pricing model where it's like, Hey, you could have 1% or you could have 0.9% or you could have 0.7% on your AUM. The only way to like get the lower AUM is based on volume or it's, you know, the size of that account. Yeah. What you could offer instead is like the service of the account. Yeah. hundred like, percent. Two million. Oh, one percent or. Yeah. I want that 0.7. That's interesting too. Uh, but if you want that 0.7, it comes with this. An annual, an annual asset sheet or whatever, an annual plan update to the plan. Yeah. I mean like, Hey, yeah, you want to pay me or you want good service, pay me 1.5%, no matter how much money you have with me. And I'm going to meet with you four times a year and we're going to have two, um, rebalancing sessions where we look back at the financial plan and rebalance the accounts accordingly. And you can have mm -hmm. an amount of accounts with me, yada, yada, yada. Your kids can have an account for free, whatever it is. Yeah. Or you can pay me 0.5% and you get one account and it's going to be index invested and you're going to see me once a year for compliance purposes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. That's, that's a not popular. I don't know if anyone really actually does that style of pricing because then so. everybody does, Hey, your account gets to this size and 
you're bumped down in terms of price. Yep. Stop doing what everybody does. That's my first rule of things. Stop doing what everybody does. You're competing okay. with people who are out competing you. But yeah, I think that's a great, a great angle to take. I think if you do take it in terms of 1.5, 1.25, and then you just structure everything that's included into each, you can just say, hey, well, what do you want? What package? Kind of works. And if someone's like, hey, I've got $10 million, I mean, I don't know, $40 million, you do have to then say like, oh, okay, we could probably cut you a break. You know, maybe forcing people that have been used to investing at a certain level, like, hey, I get $40 million. So I want every single piece of attention you can give me. And I also want the lowest rate because I'm bringing you the most money. And instead, you're saying like, well, you kind of just get what you pay for. Like if you want all of the attention and everything else, it's 1.5%. Well, I mean, that's classic problem with the SaaS business model, right? The SaaS business model that you're talking about, that's the flaw to it, is you lose customers whenever they call you up and try to negotiate with you and say, hey, actually, I'll pay you X amount instead of this amount. And you go, no, sorry, that's not in our pricing tiers. We can't do that. Yeah, you lose a customer. That's, I mean, that's, that's what it is. That's how you lose it. But if you break that pricing tier for somebody, I think that that is bad business values. Well, okay. Think B2B... SaaS, right? They'll have like an enterprise tier and it's custom or like contact us. Sure. And that's where it's like, hey, we know you have $40 million. <laughs> we'll make a lot on it. Go that route for sure. Give you the enterprise. You can right. go that route for sure. Yeah. It's got some of the options, right? But if you give them that option, you got to give everybody that option. So you got to give the guy with a million dollars the option to go enterprise. And maybe he wants that, you know, like, Maybe this is only one of his accounts that he's giving you, but he wants to have that that white glove service for diligence on deals and all kinds of other things. I think I think what makes sense is like you cater it to under a million dollar accounts, let's call it. Right. So it's like, hey, you're under a million dollars. You can choose one point five percent, one point two five, one percent. Yeah. Okay. As your fee. Here's what you get for each. Then you just choose it and you kind of go with it and you're good, right? Wait. And you're throwing it's going to be index accounts anyway. So it's like most of them are going to be just index investing accounts anyway. So how dare you? I actually spent a ton of time customizing every single portfolio for all these people. Cause I'm just like, uh, just... you don't have to for that size. I don't think, I think that that's probably a decent strategy for them. And so then you get to that guy that we talked to who you're like very productized and very systematized for those people. And it's like, look, yeah, you got $80,000. You probably just need to be dollar cost averaging. Here you go. Yeah. But yeah, you, you can kind of, yeah, you can figure it out to that extent. But I think if you make that cap, you call it a million or whatever you want, you can say that and say, Hey, here it is. And then, cause I'm fine if I manage somebody's $2 million account and they want it at 0.9, cause that's what I currently do. Um, I'll just have that as like the, got the small, medium, large options and then enterprise. Yep. Like, Hey, do you have over a million dollars? set a call. Let's talk. And then you just talk and then it's negotiated and it's fine. It's brilliant. I think it's smart. I think we, I can hit on that. I've I told you it's good. Before. I just need hundred to thousand people to hit my website. Every I, think single- you can, I think you can market that too. What you're marketing is no longer like performance or anything like that. It's, Hey, here's a brand new way to do financial advising. Here's a new fee structure that you haven't seen before, you know, check us out, give us a call, you know, we'll save you money on your financial advisory fees, blah, blah, blah. Like you can make all kinds of marketing pushes like that, all kinds of ads around that angle. And they are totally compliant. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's fair. I just, from talking and maybe this is just not enough data talking to people, they don't really seem to care like, oh, I'm getting charged this fee and you can give me a better fee because they really don't know because the people they're working with or the institution like, oh gosh, what's their name? There's this horrible company. Their name's Victory Capital or something like that. And they are the bane of my existence. I've, I say that I've gotten so many clients from them because they're so bad. 
but they are awful with their investing and then the amount of fees that they have and then everything that's not transparent or they no one knows and then when you try to transfer accounts from them they suck they're so bad and they're just the worst but people don't know what their fees are so if you're like oh we'll give you this fee they're just like hmm is that good it's like taking your car in for an oil change or a tire change or something and they're like yeah we'll give you these tires and it's this much and people are like you love the car analogy for investment advising it's kind of fun oh dude i freaking damn what about uh i mean I, I you're absolutely right and people think fees are just part of it right like i, I wrote in my article um there's something about the pride and arrogance inside of a person who's at the stage of their life where they actually have like a need for a financial advisor or think they have a need for a financial advisor. And the financial advisor tells them a fee and they go home and talk to their buddies. And the first thing they tell their buddies is like, Hey, like I got, I got a financial advisor now, you know, and everybody's like, Oh, big money. Nice. Good for you. And then he's like, yeah, man, you know, like he charged me one and a half percent. What do you think about that? And they all talk and they're like, oh yeah, one and a half percent. That's what my guy's doing, blah, 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 right? And it's like, nobody actually listens or thinks about it at all. There's just like a pride thing where they're like, yeah, I'm, I've made it now. I've made it in the world. Um, and so, yeah, nobody knows what they're paying and they don't care. You're, you're probably right. They don't care. I mean, maybe you just highlight like the, you know, you can highlight like, know what you're getting out of your financial advisor before you pay. You know, or like, um, you know, like, like something like that. Yeah. That's it. The reason I'm like the people that are so fee conscious, I don't honestly want to end up working with them anyway, because yep. they're going to be like, you get, like me, they're always going to be trying to scheme a deal. Well, scheme a deal or, or just be like, Hey, yeah. Like let's talk every day. And that's, that's not how it works. Yeah. But, um, I think there's the ability to be a little creative in pricing and fees, but what I think most people just care about is performance, which is the most difficult thing to give <laughs> with compliance on like what you can say and post and publish, market, whatever. That's what people care about is performance. Like if there's some guy on Twitter or TikTok or YouTube or whatever just being like, hey, 2022, the S&P went down 20%. My clients went up 12%. Everybody would click on him. He would get so much attention. Very true. And then he would get audited. Yeah. And you can't do that. Like you cannot say that and that would get the most money. I think you just can't say it and be lying, but I don't know. I, th I think you can say it if you're telling. Oh. No, you, you like, you can't. Like we talked about this. You can't just deliver. Okay, maybe... If it's an RIA and it's in the, it's in the language. Yeah. It's in the language of the law. You can, but you better be absolutely damn sure that that's exact. Cause, cause the auditor is going to come in and make sure that's exactly right with every account that's been with you left everything, you know, you better be taken into account all of it or else they're going to be like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. But what you can do and I say you can, I need to figure <laughs> exactly is Let's say you have a client and that client is Tom Brady, somebody with millions of followers. And if they make a post of like, hey, yeah, my guy, or say on a podcast or whatever, make a mention. Yeah, my guy got me 12% last year and the market went down 20. Everybody is going to want to know who that guy is. Sure. That is completely okay. And it might, you know, bring some heat and somebody might say like, oh, like what happened here? But if you actually got Tom Brady's account at that level that he said, and you didn't say it yourself, and then it just brings marketing to you, and you didn't pay for that statement, if there's a way for you to, you know, nicely encourage your clients to do that, you could. That's totally good. Yep. You just need famous clients. Yep. New strategy only get celebrities. It's great. <laughs> all right well we've beaten ria fees to death what do we got next uh, out about yeah. 20 minutes now so, no we've been ria fees so it kind of ends up with you know marketing side of things um 2023 content is king i am screaming up the leaderboard 
on the TikTok account. I think I've gone from number 10 in the world to maybe number nine in the world in terms of followers. Okay. Hundreds of followers. Um, but I am going to beat this content machine to death. Your Twitter is a machine right now. Oh, it is. I was gonna I don't hit know on. if it's worked at all. I don't know if I've seen followers up or down or anything, but it's yeah. every time I open it up, they're exactly the same. Are they? I like probably lose a follower. I've seen that I've gained a few followers, and I'm still at the same. I don't know. It was 73, which is amazing. Super popular. You have 273 followers on Twitter. I think so. Good for you. I think I'm at like a hundred. Dude, well, you're just a lot smarter than me. Um, In what way? <laughs> I just got a push of early followers from back when I started the account in 2011 or whatever. Anyway, um, TikTok, I have a plan. I've been pushing stuff out and then it's on a machine. I'm using this software, what's it called? Buffer. Um, and then on Twitter, I do the same thing. I generated, I spend about an hour, hour and a half, just weekend or before work starts time frame generating a bunch of different tweets. I then use chat GPT to generate a ton more. And then I type them all out myself and then I copy and paste them into like scheduling posts. And then I just do it for a week out. And then my week of just random gibberish tweets will be sent out every, I say gibberish. They're actually pretty good tweets in my opinion, but it's just like, Hey, here's something about investing and here's something about taxes and it could be anything. That just keeps going. And then my idea is based off the limited research that I've done on the Twitter algorithm and TikTok algorithm is just consistent posting. You just consistently put shit out there and it something has to click. And if it doesn't, it's a complete waste of my time, but that's fine. That's good marketing. I'm trying. Yep. I hit Twitter. Uh, I hit Twitter pretty hard lately, but that's because Megan's gone and I have nothing else to do. So I'm just on Twitter shit posting. So that's a good strat and I highly admire it because that's what I'm doing too. I'm just also adding into the fact of like, if I go on Twitter, also type out something like one thing that I'm working on right now is, or a couple of things. Number one, like business breakdowns. Like I really, and this is not financial advice, nothing on here is financial advice. I really am digging into PayPal. And PayPal has just gotten to the stock uh-huh, in the company. And so you look at the CEO, you look at board, you look at all these other things, you look at news, and there's just kind of things that are up there. But um, I've seen some people going bullish. I've seen some people going bullish PayPal. It's intriguing. I've actually seen that. Um, yeah. You said, I don't look down or anything, but it's interesting. There's this guy called Thoughtful Investor. I think he spends it in a really good way. And he puts a ton of stuff out there. Extremely intelligent guy. Uh, fundamental analysis out the door. And I just like it. And I think things like that would get attention. But yeah, people, hopefully they listen to this podcast in 10 years and then be like, wow. You know, Connor had less than PayPal was the call. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah. They're going followers. That's funny. No, yeah. They'll be like, oh, he was at that. Cause all I need to do is just get to, I don't know, 20,000 followers across different platforms and then have a hundred to a thousand organic clicks on the website. And then I'm good. You know what sucks about TikTok? Some guy said this. Um, and I don't know if it's true or not. They said the TikTok algorithm is fake. China is boosting up views to make people be addicted. But he said that he posted a video. It got over 550,000 views. And he changed his mind. Three people, three people click his link. Really? Three people clicked his link out of all of that. Yep. Interesting. I know. So I don't know. But I, would, I would believe that a lot of people are not getting the amount of attention that they want out of it for sure. TikTok, like, oh, your conversion rate out of TikTok will 
equal this and they do just have inflated numbers i 100 percent would buy that but that's pretty low 550 yeah. and he only has i think i think it might be 110 i think it might be 110 what i think is i have those videos right that we've talked about that tiktok doesn't like those videos i get like 27 views Every other video, I get like 270. So it's TikTok inflating the one-tenth, the 10x, right? And really that 27 views is the people that actually see my video and the rest of them are inflated. Possibly. Yeah. And I mean, it could be. I So we I have that account that went crazy yeah. and did that in the first month of 2023 just as a joke. Yeah. Uh, and I did put a link on there. And I did have hundreds of people click the link. Did you? Yeah. And I only had 11.9 thousand followers. How many hundreds click the link? Do you know? Less than 200. Yeah. So less than 200 clicked the link, but that was over the existence of the month that I ran that account. Right. Hmm. Very interesting thought. I don't know, man. I really don't know. Yeah. I think but, it's going to be more powerful than TikTok when it comes to conversion, but it's also harder to get noticed. It is. Well, this is just for everyone out there that really wants to push on the content machine and generate people to click on their website and then maybe schedule a call with their such and such business and it can actually work. So my goal, 20,000 followers across all platforms by the end of the year. I'm going to go from... 200 to that many all right super doable and nothing's gonna face me but that's all i got on my end are you good 23 content is king yeah man no i think that's good pod i think we can wrap it up there all right that's pod yeah